0: The word, this is, this is a joy for me. And I pray and trust that it would be a joy for you as you hear the word preach, as you open your Bibles, as you partake, as you listen to what God is saying to you through His Word, through the Bible. The title of this morning's message is Jesus Builds His Church. That's the title of the message this morning Jesus Builds His Church. And I'm going to be walking us through. Three passages in the book of Matthew, three passages in the book of Matthew that reveal how Jesus builds his church. The, the first passage is in Matthew 16, verses 13 to 18, so would you please be turning there? Matthew 16, verses 13 to 18, and as you are turning, let me set the stage, the context for the message this morning. This is New Member Sunday. Twice per year, we receive new members here at Palm Vista Community Church. And we do it very publicly in our Sunday morning celebration. We, we build the service around that. And the reason we do this is because of this text in Matthew 16. Matthew sixteen thirteen to 18 is the reason that we're doing this. Because this text is the text that tells us that Jesus is building his church. And this text reveals the foundation upon which Jesus builds his church. So let's read Matthew 16, verses 13 to 18. Are you there yet? I'm turning. I'm there. All right, here we go. Matthew 16, 13, 18. And let me just say, let me just... Give you a pastoral injunction here. Pay attention. Get your Bibles out. If you need one, I think we have some back here. Read the Word of God. This is the Word, this is what gives us life. God Himself is speaking to you. So may I encourage you listen, ask Him to reveal what He's saying. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. Now, When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And a key verse here, verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would arrest every heart, that you would open every eye, Lord, that you would unstop every ear, that you would grab your people, that you would build them and thrill them and encourage them and motivate them by your spirit that all that Christ is for us, Father, would be enough. It would push away every distraction, every conversation, everything else that battles for supremacy in our minds and our attention right now. And in the name of Jesus, we would be fully satisfied with you. Oh, please, Lord, call out your people and build them right now through this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus builds his church. He builds it on the foundation of Peter's confession. He builds it on the truth that Peter confessed when he said the following, Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of the living God. What Peter said is this, Jesus, you are God come in the flesh. You are the awaited Messiah. You are the Savior. And this is how God builds his church. This is how Jesus builds his church. He builds it based upon Peter's great confession. So, point number one, how does Jesus build his church? Upon this great confession that we see in Matthew 16, 13 to 18. You see, in Matthew 16, 13, 18, we come to a very important point in the gospel narrative. The story about Jesus Christ as Matthew narrates it. This is the point where Jesus, after having done many miracles, Jesus, after having healing, Jesus, after just having fed 4,000 people with just a couple of loaves of bread and a few fish, amazing people with what he can do, he now wants to focus in on his disciples and reveal to them who he is. Not just what he does, but who he is and why he came. Very important. And he does this By asking them a question. Look at verse 13 again. Here's the question he asked his disciples. And when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he said to his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? Now he's talking about himself. They knew that. This is a self-designation. Son of man. Filled with all kinds of messianic, prophetic implications from the Old Testament, from the Jewish Old Testament. But Jesus says, okay, who does everyone else say that I am? What's my reputation out there? What's the word out on the street? Who do people say Jesus is? You know, it's a question we can ask this morning. And the answers in 21st century America would be something like, oh, Jesus is a great man. Jesus is a wonderful teacher. You know, he's kind of like Gandhi. You know, this sort of peaceful teacher of good things, nonviolent revolution. Jesus is just a moral example. Now, the answers that the disciples give in this text in verse 14 were in first century Jewish context. So you got to understand, the, the, the things they say people are saying about Jesus fit a first century Jewish context. Most of us here are not Jewish, and it's not the first century. It's the 21st century. But for the first century, listen to what the disciples said other people were saying about Jesus. And they said, some say John the Baptist... Come back from the dead. Others say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But then Jesus looks them right in the eye. And this morning, I want you to see Jesus looking you right in the eye. And he asks them, looking them right in the eye, eyes to eyes. And he's saying, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? I want you to see God himself looking you in the eye and say, who do you say that I am? Because he's here asking you that question. He's using my mouth, but he's using his word. Who do you say that I am? He froze them. And Peter then answers in verse 16, this great confession. You, you, you know, Peter was the impetuous one. I mean, if you challenge Peter, Peter's going to be the first one to speak. Often, before he engages his mind, he engages his mouth. I love Peter. I relate with Peter well. But here, Peter is speaking directly from a revelation that God gave him, no man gave him. He just, I could just see him. Jesus says, Who do you say that I am? And Peter just says, You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. Peter's saying, You're the awaited Messiah, you're the Savior of the world. You're the one who lives and will lead us. So, is he your savior this morning? Or is he just some historical figure? Is he just some Gandhi like peace worker? Is he just somebody who, you know, is a great teacher, a moral example? Who is he? Is he your savior? That's what God wants to know about you this morning. What's your answer? Friends, Peter was able to make this great confession, not because he figured it out, but look at verse 17, because God revealed it to him. And Jesus, verse 17, answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven... Has God revealed it to you? Is this your confession? I'll tell you right now, each one of the adult members who are joining today have made this confession. Either Corey or myself has looked them in the eyes and said, tell me about Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? Have you placed your faith in Him as your Savior? Because that's the foundation for this church. That's the foundation for our membership that Jesus Christ is Lord, he's Savior, he's Messiah. If he's not, then why are you here? Why am I here? We're here because that is true. And we believe it. And we confess it. It is the foundation not only of the church but of our life. And friends, I tell you, it's the only foundation in your life. Listen, it's the only foundation in your life that will survive the storms. And not just the storms of this life. There is one storm coming that is greater than any storm and that is the storm of God's righteous judgment on mankind. And that's the only foundation that won't crack and crumble. But it will also serve you in this life. The foundation of the church. That's what Jesus says in verse 18. Upon this rock. He's not talking about Peter himself primarily. He's talking about the apostolic confession of truth upon which his church would be built. There's no primacy to Peter here. He just happens to be another one of those Earthen vessels, failed, flawed individuals. Remember, he was the one that denied Jesus three times. He he will be rebuked by Jesus in just a few verses. Paul will rebuke him. We talked about this last week in Galatians 2. Peter's nothing special. He's just talking about what God's revealed, and he loves to reveal it through people like you and me, flawed, weak, what the world would call not the sharpest, But God says they're my people. It's upon Peter's confession that Jesus builds the church. And that word church is incredibly important here. Look at that word. Put your finger on that word church in verse 18. I will build my church. The the Greek word there is ekklesia. Ekklesia is a very important word in the Bible. It's only mentioned twice in the book of Matthew. It's interesting. It's mentioned here in Matthew 16 and then in Matthew 18. And we saw it in the book of Acts. Remember, we started seeing how this word church was used. It's a very important word. It means, it means God's called out ones. It, it, it means the people that God chooses from the world and says, I'm going to build my church. Imagine you're on the campus of the University of Florida. You should be so fortunate. If you're a guest here, I'm a graduate of Florida. There's a lot of haters here about the University of Florida, but I love them anyways. The Bible says love your enemies. But I remember going up to the University of Florida from South Florida. I, I just lived here all my life. I'd never hardly left here. I think I, I really hadn't. I didn't see snow until I was 20, okay? Yeah, I know. And uh, so I, I drive up to Gainesville. My dad drives me up and I go on campus and if you've not been there, it, it's, all the buildings are red brick. It just Shocking for someone from South Florida. What is this? Well, imagine a building like that with red bricks, and God is building his church one brick at a time. That's what's happening this morning. Bricks are going to be added to the building at Palm Vista Community Church, but one brick at a time, the community of believers who follow Jesus. See, that's the thing about Ecclesia. It's not just called out, but called out to follow Jesus, to be disciples of Jesus. It's the community of believers who follow Jesus, the called out ones. That's why we have community groups. We are a community. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. On the foundation of Jesus being Lord, he builds his community, his called out ones. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just want to build this cozy little club, this this wonderful, comfortable little community where we all feel nice and cozy together. No, 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 no. He calls us to be, he calls us out to be his community to then send us back in to love our neighbor. And that's the second point. <clears throat> We're propelled by the great confession. We're moved by the great confession. Jesus is the Christ, he is my Savior, to then obey the great commandment. Turn in your Bibles, just flip a couple of chapters forward to Matthew 22. Love hearing those pages rustle. So it's not just God in us, but it's God in us now sent out. God sends us out. We've been singing about that. To love our neighbor. Notice what Jesus says here in Matthew 22. We're going to begin in verse 34. Matthew 22, 34. So if the great confession is the foundation of the church, then the great commandment is going to be the fuel for the church to go out, to propel us, to launch us. The great commandment is the fuel. Let's read what Jesus says in Matthew 22, 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Do you see this is still foundational stuff? On these two commandments, they're going to be the foundation upon which all the law and the prophets, all that God has revealed about himself and his purpose in mankind are based upon these two commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Foundational stuff. It's the fuel. The context here is that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were desperate to shut Jesus down. They're not buying that Jesus is the Christ. They're not buying that he's the Messiah. They're not buying that he's the Savior of Israel like Peter did because God revealed it to him. No, 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 no. They want to shut him down. They want to silence him. But you know what? Instead of them silencing him, look at verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, Who's silencing whom here in this text? It is Jesus who is shutting their mouth. And the way he did it was very publicly, he would stand there and these experts of the law, these men who maybe had memorized the first five books of the Bible, Genesis to Deuteronomy, can you imagine memorizing Leviticus? Dude, that's discipline. They're experts. And they're firing questions at him. And Jesus is just like, boom, boom, boom. boom. He just shuts them down. They just walk away. (laughs) This uneducated guy. So now the Pharisees, they're going, no, no, okay, we take up the baton here. This is a relay race. Give us that baton. So they said, no, we're going to catch him. We're going to entrap him. So what do they do? They send in the lawyers. (laughs) I want lawyers in this church. Please hear that. I wanted to be a lawyer at one point. I also wanted to be like... President of the United States, but pff, we're all legends in our own minds. And so the, they send in the lawyers, and the a lawyer asks him a question to test him. Do you see that there in verse 35? He didn't ask him the question to learn from Jesus. He wanted to entrap Jesus. Imagine Jesus on the witness stand, and the lawyer's cross-examining him, and he wants to trap him. He wants to get Jesus to say something that is controversial so that people would then turn against Jesus. And what do they, what do they ask him? These lawyers ask him a very difficult question. They said, listen, Jesus, of the 613 commandments that our rabbis today find in the law, in other words, they got somehow out of the law 613 commandments. Many, many of them probably were additions. But, nonetheless, 613. Jesus, tell us something here, quite publicly. Which is the greatest which is the most important? Now you know people are going to be upset no matter what he says. Everybody has their pet commandment. They wanted to stir it up. How did Jesus answer them? What did he say to them? Now you see, many of them would have expected Jesus to start with the top ten, right? I mean, let's—if they're six thirteen, what are the top ten? Do you know? You should. Top ten, either from Deuteronomy 5, 7 to 21, or Exodus 20, 1 to 17. You should know these. These made the top ten. They were written by the finger of God. They cannot save us, but they sure do reveal who God is and his commands to us. Jesus saves us. That they're important. I mean, so they're figuring, okay, he's going to start maybe with one, two, three, or four. Some say those four kind of address our love for God. Have no other gods before me. Two, don't make for yourself a carved image or likeness of me. Three, don't take my name in vain. His name is who he is. Understand who God is, not just cursing. It's much deeper than that. Number four, observe the Sabbath. Why? I trust you, God. Or maybe he's going to go to 5 through 10, the last 6, that deal probably more with how we love our neighbor, how we deal with one another. Honor your father and mother. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. And don't covet your neighbor's things. But he didn't. He did not drop into one of these. What Jesus did was he quoted from something that most pious Jews of his time would have recited every single day of their life. And it comes from Deuteronomy 6.5. And this is what they would have recited. This great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Some say this command kind of encapsulizes or summarizes the first four. He says, this is the great commandment. And then he wasn't done. Look at verses 38 and 39. When he's done with that one, he says, this is the great and first commandment. So he shut them down. They realize, uh-oh, there goes our no-hitter. <laughs> he just jacked that one out of the park. We threw our fastball inside, right on in the corner of the plate, 99 miles an hour. Jesus turned on it with ease and just absolutely crushed it out of the park. But then he adds this. This is the great and first commandment, verse 38, verse 39, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So probably Jesus is citing Leviticus 19.18 and Leviticus 19.34, which says that you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus rightly concludes in verse 40. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. There's your foundations, but it's more than just foundations. This is your fuel. This is your fuel. It's not just Jesus and me and a bunch of you huddled up in a holy community that says, forget the world. No, no. It's Jesus and us calling us to a holy community built on the foundation of the confession of who Jesus is, propelled out into the greater community by the great commandment. Love God. Love your neighbor. See, Jesus was right. You cannot separate these two. These two are the foundations of the law and the prophet. These two go together. John the Apostle, late in his life, in his epistle of 1 John, said it this way in 1 John 4.20. These two commandments go together because anyone, quoting now from John in 1 John four. Twenty. Anyone who says he loves God and hates his brother is a liar. Liar. If you don't love your brother whom you have seen, you cannot love God whom you have not seen. That's Bible. So how do we love our neighbor? See, that's what we should be asking ourselves right now. How do I love my neighbor? Now, Jesus is clear. I mean, he's clear about this. You know how you love your neighbor? You start with the top ten. You know? Don't kill them. (laughs) Then Jesus said, don't get angry at them. We can laugh at don't kill them that I'm aware of. We don't have any murderers in here. Uh, It's not so funny when it says don't get mad at them on Monday morning in traffic. On the palmetto. When demons come out. It's Halloween every Monday here in Miami. The goblins are out. Sad thing is, some of them are in me, I think. (laughs) Don't commit adultery. Oh, I would never do that. Then Jesus said, But when you look upon a woman to lust, don't steal, stop lying. Stop coveting what's your neighbor's, his wife, his cars, his property, his church. Ah. <laughs> okay, let's start there. That's why we run to the Savior. Oh, Jesus, you are the Savior, right? Great commandment pushes us right back to the great confession. And great confession, graciously leads us into the great commandment. But Jesus is my hope. He's changing me. How do you love your neighbor? Well, if your neighbor is your parents, you honor them. And then Paul says, if you're the parent, you don't exasperate your children. And then we can move from those top ten into the New Testament, and Paul's very practical. In 1 Corinthians 13, you want to know how to love your neighbor? Just look at 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is... patient. (laughs) Back to the palmetto on Monday morning. Oh, I hate waiting. I break out, you know, when I have to wait. It's because I'm not patient. Because who am I loving in that case? Not my neighbor. Not God. Me. Me. But, I believe that another way that we biblically love our neighbor... In addition to, it's not less than what I've just shared, but it's that and more. It's a full-orbed loving of my neighbor. Is this, Is to share with them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and call them to be disciples. And this leads us to the final way Jesus builds his church, and that is through the Great Commission. The Great Commission, point three. If the great... Confession is the foundation of the church. If the great commandment is the fuel of the church, then the great commission is the faith of the church. Let's read it. Matthew 28, a few chapters further in your Bibles. Beginning in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There's the faith. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is about to ascend here. This is our faith. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Spirit. We sang that in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Spirit. Lord, we come. We're gathered together to lift up your name. Because our God saves and sends us out into the nations with that message. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Verse 20. And behold, here's our faith. I am with you always to the end of the age. He's with us today. This was written over 2,000 years ago. But he's with us today. This is our faith. Friends, we cannot separate the Great Commission from the Great Confession and the Great Commandment. Or else we do violence to the fabric of Scripture. The way we love God and the way we love one another is to obey his commandment to make disciples of the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ, beginning with our family, our friends, our co-workers. Yes, our neighbors. Listen, when when Jesus said, love your neighbor, the Pharisees hedged their bets. Well, who's my neighbor? Because there was a lot of people they didn't like. You're asking me to love that guy? And Jesus, in the wonderful parable of the Good Samaritan, says, let me define who your neighbor is. It's that person you call unclean who you won't even talk to. If a Jew went into Samaria, he was ceremonially unclean. If he spoke to a Samaritan, there was this whole process he had to go through to get cleansed again. That's your neighbor. That guy? That lady? That unclean person? That person who doesn't look like me, sound like me, doing stuff? I know is wrong, the scriptures say. Yeah, that's your neighbor. You go love them. You go to them with the gospel. (sighs) Yes. That's the greatest good I can do to my neighbor is to share the gospel with him in word and deed. Listen, word and deed. Deed. Word. Declare, demonstrate, both and. Not either or. And we do this. We do this when we lay down our lives. In fact, I would say, <clears throat> we can only do this when we lay down our lives, when we lay down our reputation, when we lay down our comfort. Greater love has no man than this that he would lay down as a life for another. This is the commandment. This is the commission. Love one another. Lay down your life In faith, as Christ is with us and as Christ commanded us, and this is what we're called to do in this wonderfully multi-ethnic region of South Florida. A region of well over 5 million people. Some say it's bumping up into 6 million people, which actually makes up the fourth largest population center in America. In the city of Miami, if you're a non-Hispanic white, you comprise only 12% of the population. You're a minority here. Hispanics comprise 65 percent. And African Americans, many of whom would be from the West Indies, who grew up here or born in Haiti or, the Dominican, or um, yeah, or the Dominican Republic, or, or grew up in um, Barbados, St. Vincent, St. Kitts, Jamaica. So many of that 22 percent would be comprised of that, and then there's one percent other. When you like to be other. Hi, I'm Other. Miami is a Latin American city. It is the capital of Latin American banking. It is the international capital for Latin and Hispanic entertainment. Miami, friends, listen. It is a multi-ethnic city pulsating with energy, new arrivals, people trying to make it. Lots of lots of fraud because everybody's got an angle and they're working an angle to make some money. I mean, Miami's one of the few people, places you can go to and see like 80-year-old guys with hats on selling churros and water on the, on the street corner. I mean, usually, you know, that's like other age groups. But in Miami, they're, they're still hustling, man, at 80. Because so many came from other countries, so poor, so grateful to be here, and they're hustling. It's a pulsating city of energy, sensuality, at times, people trying to just get over on you and make a buck, Right? But there's, there, there is a multi-ethnicity and an energy. It's a world, it's a global city. Friends, Miami is the future of America. As Miami is now, so will America be in the future. Miami is the shape of the pu- future. And of this, well over 5 million people, let's just say 5 million for the sake of being conservative. Do you know that experts say that there are only about 150,000 evangelical believers. Do some quick math. Hopefully I do this right. If not, you can laugh at me, which is fine. 10% of 5 million, I think, is 500,000. Okay. 5% is 250,000. So we're working our way down to 150,000. You get it? So I want to pause And I want to thank all of you who have committed yourselves to building this church. Thank you for being here. But especially to you non-Hispanic whites, to you non-Hispanic whites, thank you for coming here. Some of you under duress, (laughs) you had no choice. Or staying here. And again, some of you, that wasn't your plan. Housing market tanked as we were about to make our exit. (laughs) But thank you. Thank you for staying here to reach the nations with the gospel when many non-Hispanic whites have retreated to central Florida and beyond in the 70s and 80s because, quite frankly, it's cheaper there. It's more comfortable there. It's safer there. People are nicer there. It's quieter there. There's just a whole lot less aggravation there. At least I can get mad at people and I understand what they're saying when they get mad back at me. Now I just think everybody's mad at me. Cause that's the way you know, Cubans talk. You know. ah! Were they arguing? No, no. They were saying good morning. Wow. You just turn the volume down a little. What am I doing here? I'll tell you what you're doing here. You are part of the long line of witnesses whom God has sent into foreign places, places that are not comfortable, places that don't feel like home. Can you imagine a Jew? In pagan Ephesus, which was one of the centers of emperor worship, there was all kinds of shrines to the emperor, of cultic worship, to the goddess of sex. And you're a Jew from Jerusalem, and you end up there? You're part of that group whom God has providentially brought to this city, or perhaps providentially kept in this city, a place that doesn't look like or feel like home, when home would be much more comfortable. And you are here by God's gracious will to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ in this church and in so doing. Friend, well done. You are loving your neighbor. Palm Vista Community Church is that group of witnesses for Jesus Christ that began in the book of Acts and has rolled through the ages with whom this group of witnesses, Jesus is building His church and from our number, God has and will continue to raise up pillars of the church. Men and women who live for the gospel every day, live for something bigger than them and their bottom line and their comforts and their ease and what they like and who they are comfortable with. This is the place that God has raised up out of this church by His grace. Church planters for this region and beyond to go to Cuba. Our dear friend Gabriel here who's involved in the Baptist seminary in Santiago de Cuba. Sending them to Cuba. Right behind him, Kevin Abeg and Claudia who have given their lives for the Latin world. First Chile, Latin America, but then Cuba I know is on their hearts. Places we may never go. God has raised up church planners for this region and beyond. He's raised up expositors. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm expositing. I'm teaching the word of God of the word of God in this region that is so needy. Men like Jose Prado, whom we sent out with many of our finest a year and a half ago. And it wasn't comfortable. It never is. It's not comfortable to charge the hill and take it. Jesus is building his church through a generation that's willing to risk everything for the gospel and to do it in this great region of the country that is a laboratory for ministry in the post-Christian, multi-ethnic America of the 21st century. So here's God's appeal to us. And it's the final point of the message. should come up on the screen. Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Christ commands us, be clear about this, if he's the Christ... He commands you. He's either Lord of all or He's not Lord at all. Jesus the Christ commands us to fulfill His great commission fueled by His great commandment. Fulfill His great commission fueled by His great commandment. The great commandment leads us to fulfill the great commission, friends. It leads us to make disciples of all nations with the gospel so that they, the nations, might utter the great confession that Jesus Christ is Lord and build His church. Brothers and sisters, these new members we are about to receive and welcome have decided to join us in this great commission. Based on the great confession of who Jesus is, fueled by the great commandment Jesus gave us. So let us welcome them now, shall we? Jesus is building his church, and he does so by adding each new individual and each new family, one family and individual at a time. These have all made a clear profession of faith in Jesus as their Lord. They've decided to join this church by the power of the Holy Spirit. They've completed the six-week starting point class. They've completed an interview with one of the pastors. And we're grateful to receive them.